TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Brett Hill, and this week I'm joined by an open-minded Aussie following a paleo lifestyle. He's a dedicated family man who's changed his life from a carb and sugar junkie to a fat-fueled warrior, leaving the standard diet behind to seek out a better life, from running a marathon to volunteering in a third world country, all while living paleo. So, welcome to the show, Hayden Ma. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Brett. It's uh, fantastic to be on. I've uh, listened to the podcast for a few years now, so it's, uh, yeah, I must say, really grateful to be here. Well, I'm looking forward to this, mate, because uh, I missed your chat that you did in Adelaide uh, a little while ago, and uh, but my producer, Stacey, did uh, help organize that and obviously went along to that, and she was raving about it, and she was like, you've got to get this guy on, and uh, I keep seeing your name pop up on social media. I thought, yep, it's time to get him on and find out what he's all about. Obviously, the Instagram handle, I run on fat, keeps popping up in my feed, uh, so I thought it'd be great to chat to you and find out what it's all about, Hayden. So... Tell us a little bit about your story, Hayden. You said you're a, a carb and sugar junkie. Um, you know, tell us about how you got into that position and what was it that made you decide that maybe that wasn't the way to go? Yeah, I guess um, um, I had a typical, you know, normal Aussie childhood growing up. You had your uh, uh, school lunches of Vegemite sandwiches and muesli bars and so on. Um, that sort of just kept flowing through the uh, teenage years into the uh, into the twenties and so on, and plenty of um, uh, chicken schnitzels and chips at the pub and beers and so on. And um, I guess uh, over time, I didn't didn't sort of really know it at that stage, but uh, over time, it wasn't it wasn't doing any justice to me. I was uh, yeah, constantly sick and had lots of uh, stomach issues, lots of gut issues, uh, pretty much IBS all the time. And, um, yeah, it, was, it wasn't until um, later on in life we was, uh, got married and we had some kids and we started cleaning up our life. And, um, yeah, so I changed a few things in diet and lifestyle, got a lot more interested in food. And, um, yeah, we did a bit more research. My wife, she's a, uh, she's a vet, so a lot more scientific than myself. So she uh, dug away at a few things and came up with a few ideas and, uh, we came across paleo in uh, 2013 and went from there. So you said you had IBS. What were the symptoms that you were expressing with your IBS? Oh, most of it was uh, just bloating and lots of lots of wind. Um, um, it's a funny one. A, a lot of people in South Australia will get it. Well, I used to uh, uh, race bicycles, did a lot of cycling, and um, some of the guys I used to ride with used to call me Santos. <laughs> um, Santos is the big natural gas company in South Australia. So, um, yeah, so yeah, lots, lots of wind, um, yeah, lots of bloating. So, that's so um, they didn't make you the lead man? No, 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 definitely not, definitely not. So, um, for the power from behind, I guess. <laughs> and so, obviously, you had those health conditions of your own, but it sounds like having kids was a pretty big motivator for you. Was that? That seems like that happens for a lot of people. I know certainly that was for me that, you know, when I started thinking about bringing kids into the world and how I wanted to raise them and I guess what I wanted to be for them and what I wanted to role model to them and those sort of things, like it really gives you another perspective, I guess, on what you're doing in terms of your health and your diet and your lifestyle, doesn't it? Oh, it certainly does. And I guess 
Yeah, it's exactly what you say. It's a different perspective. So you've got other people, you're responsible for other people, um, and you really want to give them the best start. And I guess that a lot of it was driven from that fact of we started making their own food for the kids when they were babies and, and we, um, got a lot more interested in the kitchen, especially myself. I uh, migrated from the, the barbecue outside to actually making food in the kitchen, and I think that was the biggest the biggest step I could make, the biggest step change, and it was uh, it just opened my eyes to flavour and, and knowing what food was, really. Nice. And having said that, I reckon there's a lot to be said for the humble barbecue when it comes to a paleo way of living. You know, oh. there's, a, there's a lot you can do with, you know, maybe not just the traditional, you know, meat and bread, but maybe meat and veggies on the barbecue. Uh, you know, you can do a lot of good stuff with that simple, those simple tools, I reckon. Oh, for sure, and yeah, we still do it quite a bit. The barbecue is just outside the outside from the kitchen here, and quite often we'll get the uh, the fire going in the backyard and put the old uh, rustic hot plate on it. So nice, um, that sounds even yeah, better. So yeah, get- sorry. So you said that your wife, yourself, and your wife decided you wanted to start making changes. You said she she was a bit more research based than you, but where did you start? Like, where did you get your information from when you were first thinking about starting to make changes? Yeah, I think um, initially we came across um, some of the low-carb movement that was coming out of South Africa, um, the Real Meal Revolution. Um, I came across a few things. like Back in 2013, Pete Evans was sort of just sort of getting that paleo word happening in the media. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I guess we thought, we thought we'd give it a go. Um, couldn't really see any flaws in it. It just looked like real food and uh, good food, so... Um, I guess one big challenge for me was like from I grew up on a farm where we, we grew wheat and um, I'd spent all my life eating eating grain and I first thing I thought was oh, I can't live without bread. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was just uh, so foreign to me. Yet, um, yeah, it was probably one of the things that was making me so sick. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So, was that the hardest thing to give up for you? Was it the bread? Oh, at the start it was. Um, like when when we first went that way we went cold turkey um no no wheat basically no bread um and yeah first few weeks it was just all right what wasn't wasn't that i missed it straight away it was just trying to work out what else to eat so um because i seemed to always have you know your typical salad rolls or sandwiches and so on and mm. uh i used to eat a lot of pasta for tea lots and lots of pasta um but um yeah just had to think outside the square go back to the old meat and three veg yeah, so I mean, like, that would be a common experience for a lot of people. You know, they you kind of get to the list, and and I think for a lot of people, they look at paleo, and the first thing their eyes go to is what can't I have? You know, and so you sort of look at that list, and and I was the same, and a lot of other people the same. That when you first look at this list, and you think, far out, that's taken out my whole diet. Like, what do I do yeah. now? So, yeah, what tips do you have for people who who are in that position? They they've looked at this list and of what they can't have, and they're thinking. I don't even know where to begin now. Like, well, what can I eat? How, how do I make? How am I going to survive without having these staples of my diet? These things that I love. Mm, yeah, and I guess it, it's certainly a challenge. Um, I guess to find um, some people around you or a network around you where you can lean on for support, um, or maybe yeah, just just go out and buy your typical um, yeah, paleo cookbook. Um, there's plenty of them out there now. There's, a, there's heaps of them in the stores now, but. Um, or um, 
a few simple ways I've, I've told a few friends is maybe just go back and eat the way your grandparents used to eat. So, you know, roast meat and veg, it's uh, yeah. pretty hard to beat some days. Yeah, I think that's the way I started. I literally started with roasts and barbecues. And like yeah. I was a bit like you. Like I'd been, you know, I knew how to cook a barbecue and that was about it. Uh, but it was like roasts and barbecues, like meat and three veg. I was like, well, I can do this. This is actually really easy. Like in many ways for me, it was the easiest way to start cooking because I didn't know how to cook anything else. So I was like, yeah. all right, well, if I just put, you know, instead of the bread, I'll put some, you know, maybe some zucchini, maybe some onion, maybe some sweet potato, uh, you know, that sort of stuff onto the barbecue. Sometimes even like spinach, I'd pile spinach on the barbecue and just yeah. kind of half steam it on there. And, but at least that was a, you know, that was a good easy way as a bloke who wasn't great in the kitchen to go, okay, well, at least I can cook something resembling paleo, you know, somewhat healthy. You know, it doesn't always need to be complicated to start with, does it? No, that's right. That's right. I guess one thing I sort of found at the start and um, I probably started to eat a lot of nuts and um, probably more nuts than I had for a long time and, uh, yeah, just a lot of different foods. I ate a lot more fruit. Um, but, yeah, certainly like you say, we, we experimented with a lot of different veggies and how could we cook them simply or just cook uh, big batches, lots of roast veg and try and save some and brekkie the next morning was leftovers with an egg on top. Yeah, nice. Uh, so, you mentioned cookbooks before. Do you have a favourite? Oh, no, not so much a favourite. But it was probably um, uh, the Luke and Scott books. I'll probably go back to them a fair bit. They're, they're a few years old now. But, um, nice. And, uh, yeah, Pete Evans did a good one of, the, of one pot recipes. Yeah. Um, That's probably about yeah, one of Pete's just, only ones I don't have, I reckon. That does look no, no, good. Yeah, yeah. No, that's pretty good. But, um and the um, Joe and Fuad um, Life Changing Food, that's that's yeah. brilliant, that book. So. Yeah, that's a ripper too. I do have that one sitting yeah. on the kitchen counter as we speak. So, yeah. that one's great. Um, all right. So, mate, you've also been and uh, volunteered in Cambodia, which sounds like an amazing experience. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, that uh, came about sort of, um, sort of through my work and... It's a charity run by Cozzy, South Aussie of Cozzy, so oh, yeah. the charity cows for Cambodia. And um, he bought a little farm over there and obviously wants a place to put his cows. So um, my work during the week, I, I work for a uh, agricultural fencing company. And, um, yeah, he needed someone to go over there and do some fencing. So, um, yeah, we I put my hand up with a, a couple other fellows. We had some volunteers from the Blaze Aid. They're a... Uh, volunteer organisation in Australia that go around and help after the bushfires in Blazo, oh, yeah. in uh, Australia, I mean. So they uh, they came over as well. So there was about oh, eight of us the first time. So we went over, I think it was April 2017, and um, we'd packed everything in a container and uh, sent it off and got to the other end and, um, yeah, had to unload the container in the 40-degree heat and the humidity. <laughs> that, that, was, uh, that was interesting, but... Um, I sort of didn't really know much about Cambodia before I went and um, a little bit of cramming before before the first flight and went over and, um, you know, it sort of took me by surprise. The the people over there, are, um, there's obviously a lot of history with the war and there's so much poverty left, but the, the people there are just so grateful. They're um, big smiles on their faces and they were just so happy to see us turn up. And um, yeah. the, the, the big thing that surprised me was, you know, as, as soon as we cracked open this container, just people turned up from everywhere just to see what was in it. They were so <laughs> just we just started pulling things out, like something as simple to us, which was a, a two-stroke post hole digger, just a two-stroke motor and a soil auger. Oh. 
Yeah. Oh, they just loved it. Wow, it's got a motor. It digs holes. Wow, look at this. So. Mate, mate, I tell you what, I just spent the whole, uh, not last weekend, the weekend before, I spent the whole weekend digging holes in my garden oh, to put new yeah. fences in for my chickens. I'd be oh, about yeah. the same around a two-stroke post hole digger right about now, I reckon. Yeah, look at this right. thick right. clay soil. It took me forever yeah. to dig these. About 10 holes I had to dig. So uh, uh, I think I'd be with them. I'd be, I'd be surrounding you in awe <laughs> at your uh, two-stroke post hole digger. That sounds fantastic oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it, was, it was pretty good now now cozzy south aussie with cozzy he's a good bloke he does a lot of good stuff but i'm guessing he's not paleo so how'd you go no. on the paleo diet when you headed over to cambodia and what was the diet like over there for the locals yeah it, it's quite interesting because the the locals are quite um you could, you could call it primitive there's no refrigeration um mm. so basically if they want meat they go and get meat from the market and it was killed that morning so um fresh meats killed slaughtered before dawn every day and taken to the market and sold that day and cooked that day um where the paddocks were working in out on the farm they had um just rows and rows of lemongrass growing along the boundary of the of the farm just to keep the mozzies away that was you'd, you'd kneel down and you're tying some wire on a fence post and you kneel down in lemongrass and it's just the smell comes up and it's just amazing um, but every little, every little house or every little farm is just trying to make make ends meet, basically. So almost every second or third house has got uh, five or six square metres of herb garden. So they're growing lots of basils and um, all your parsleys and chives and chilies and everything. So we found a couple of good restaurants where you could go and get some of the best curries and. And we, we sort of asked her the first night we were there, you know, how, what do you make it with? And she's like, um, herbs and coconut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and some chicken from the market and that was it. So um, obviously rice is a huge staple over there. So most things have rice with it, but um, it's obviously grown locally and it's, and it's there. So um, another big thing over there is if there's fruit for sale, it's in season. They, you know, they, there's no cold storage yeah. of fruit over there. It's, if it's not in season, you can't buy it. So yeah, um, there's a whole bunch of questions I want to ask you about this experience. But first things first, you mentioned lemongrass keeping the mosquitoes away. Now I'm up in the Adelaide Hills here. We've got a couple of uh, little uh, dams across the road from us. We get millions of mosquitoes up here. So does yeah. that work? Like if I plant lemongrass all uh, around my place, is that going to keep them out? I don't know. I don't know. Like uh, in Cambodia, there wasn't many bugs around at all. So. Um, there were some very big bugs and scary-looking bugs, but um, a lot of people talk about the mozzies over there, but we never really come across them. Um, the first time we were over there was the end of the dry season, and it was, it was hot, and there was hardly a blade of uh, green grass anywhere. And the second time we went back in November, that was the end of the wet, and, um, yeah, there was lush green growth everywhere. And, um, yeah, I'm wasn't too many mozzies about, but uh, the lemongrass—you could certainly maybe smell it. So. Maybe that's a yes. Maybe that does work. All right, I like that. Um, now I love what you're saying about the Cambodian people, and I think a couple of really cool things there. It it sort of mirrors an experience I had when I went on a holiday to the Solomon Islands, and one of the mm. things I found about the people in the Solomon Islands was exactly the same that they didn't have the refrigeration, they didn't have the preparation, I guess, uh, and what it seemed to allow them to be was very present. Uh, they, they didn't seem to ever necessarily worry about the past or the future because they could kind of only ever worry about right now. It was 
it was interesting mm. speaking to one of the rest, uh, one of the uh, resort owners over there on the Solomon Islands, and they had a real challenge with their staff of getting them to essentially getting them to think ahead. Like, like they yeah. couldn't think ahead about what they needed to have, you know, to order from the markets the day before for the next day, because that just wasn't the way they were used to thinking. If they wanted fish, they would go fishing. If they wanted bananas, they would go pick bananas. If they wanted coconuts, they'd go climb the coconut palm you know like yeah. it was it was very present moment which i guess for the uh, resort owners was probably quite frustrating but but for the, those locals i think that that element of present time consciousness is just a beautiful thing to see and observe and i, I think would be a lovely way to live i mean was that kind of your experience with the cambodian people yeah it, it certainly was and like a lot of the time especially once you got away from siam reap the the city we're staying in and further out into the villages so many of the people you know, they had their little market stall or some of the workers that were coming out to the farm and, you know, they'd just sit there under a tree, you know, just twiddling their thumbs until we turned up that day and then they'd hop up and come over and just, you know, whatever we seemed to do for the day, they'd just follow along. And, um, like, m- most of the time you'd get to lunchtime and you'd have some – there'd be one lady who would cook a big meal for everyone and everyone would sit down and have something to eat and then a lot of them would have a siesta for an hour or two and then uh, come back out and work again later on. So – um, but yeah, t- totally agree with what you're saying there. Like they have, I hardly have a thing to their name, so there's not much to worry about. So I guess to to plan to to do something is something that probably beyond what they really need to do. Yeah, and I think one of the other things you touched on, which I think is often beautiful in countries like that, is just that degree of gratitude. You know, where they they don't have a lot, but they seem to be so much more grateful for what they do have. Uh, mm. than perhaps we are in the Western world. Yeah, that, that's correct. And I think the um, like the Buddhism culture over there is, is huge in Cambodia, especially with all the temples. And um, it's actually funny, one of the guys that works on the farm was a monk for seven years and he's I've got to know him quite well and he's told us quite a few stories about when he was a monk and why he left and so on. And But um, you're right, though, so many of them, they're just oh, so grateful and oh, we could – in the container, we had a lot of um, clothes and like old school uniforms from some of the um, schools in Adelaide. And um, you just start handing them out to some of the local kids and next thing they're running through the paddock in some private school blazer. <laughs> and, uh, and they've even got a tie and a little cap on and you're just thinking, they're so grateful for that. And it's it's made out of wool and it's 38 degrees, but he's going to wear it. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, um, and if you took that to probably any of those private schools, those kids would turn up their nose at it because it was a second-hand oh, yeah. uniform, you know? Yep, like yep, Just that, that difference is, is so stark. And uh, oh, yeah. any other lessons you learned in Cambodia that sort of really stuck out for you? Yeah, it's probably, um, um, yeah, like I said before, like with, with the Buddhism and a lot of their culture and there's, um, you know, they sort of, uh, I, I guess they take time to do everything. There's always... <laughs> um, especially in Siem Reap, there was always uh, there's a lot of monasteries around, lot, lots of monks. The monks go begging in the mornings and just gives you a whole different perspective on life. And you, you come back to Australia and, and you sort of sit back and you, you look at some of the ads on TV or you look at just the ads on sides of buses or in the paper and things like that and you just sort of think, oh, my God, how do, how do people get sucked into buying things with <laughs> ridiculous ads like this? And it's that whole perception of need versus want and – yeah, so, so personally, myself, I've come back and, yeah, geez, my life has got simpler. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I think that's a great a great thing to do. Um, now, moving yeah. on, uh, you do fit some fitness training and, and the MAF method. Can you tell us about yep. that? What is that? 
Yeah, so the uh, the MAF method is um, maximum aerobic function is what it stands for. Um, and guys like um, uh, Mark Sisson, like Primal Endurance and so on, they're, they're sort of all behind it. Um, and uh, it's basically basically you set a limit for your, for your heart rate, for your training. So it's 180 minus your age. So it brings it back a fair bit. So for me, it brings it back to, what's that, 142 now. So in, in theory, if you went for a run, you'd have a heart rate strap on and that's your, that's your level of where you'd uh, let your heart rate go to. So, um, yeah, I did, a, I did a lot of training under that um, uh, last year. So I uh, worked up to running a marathon. So, um, and it, it's quite interesting because um, for years, way back um, before I went paleo when I was doing a lot of cycling and, um, yeah, no regard to how high my heart rate went. I'd just go out and punish myself on the bike and, and then come back and wonder why I couldn't get off the couch. And, um, and, um, but it's, it's amazing. You obviously you run a lot slower and you, you take a lot more in and you, you notice the birds in the trees and you're not panting flat out and you, um, you know, you still go and run your five Ks. It takes you 10 minutes longer, but, um, yeah, you come back and you, you know, you're not worn out. You don't have sore knees, don't have sore ankles, and yeah, it's actually a, it's a very interesting concept. It sounds like an interesting concept, and you know, it kind of reminds me of uh, you know, I remember Damien Christoph and Marcus Pierce coming back from their trip to Ikaria, you know, one of the blue zones in Greece, and and they mm. went for a run there, and and the locals were just perplexed at what they were doing. You know, they were sort of like, what are you running from? Um, yep. and they couldn't understand why they were sort of pushing themselves and pounding the pavement. And, you know, when you think yep. about it in that respect, it kind of makes sense. Like as in, you know, I understand that, I guess, and we might talk about this in a second as well, but what would be innate would be to maybe do short sprints if you were hunting or trying to escape a lion <laughs> or something would be, you know, a natural thing to do short sprints. But but running for a long distance at high intensity, you know, in the exception of some sort of extreme emergency, you know, I don't imagine would have been a common thing. You know, if you think to, I guess, maybe like a Kalahari Bushman or something, you know, if they were yes. running a long way sending a message they wouldn't have been sprinting their guts out. You know, they, they would have been keeping a, a steady pace and just, uh, you know, making their way between wherever they needed to go, I imagine. Is that kind of the thinking behind it, like doing a lot of stuff at, at that lower intensity? And do you then include into that, um, you know, like I know Mark Sasson often talks about it, is doing some sprints, you know, a shorter duration, higher intensity exercise as well? Mm, yeah, that's right. That's right. So, um yeah, mine were just, um, like you say, I do a lot of slow. Um, it was sort of, it was quite long, but, you know, at that slow pace. So it's more time-based than distance-based. And then every seven to 10 days, you'd go and do five or six 50 to 100-meter sprints and you'd sort of work up to 100% effort and then, you know, sort of work back away from it. And, yeah, you sort of you didn't need to do that much because, geez, you'd come away sore from it. Yeah. Um, Especially if you put all that, you know, you put 100% effort into it, um, and yeah, you could feel it. You could feel it work. And like I think the the biggest component I come away from it was the uh, lack of injuries. So I've done a, I um, when I was in the cycling, I got into triathlon for a while, and you know, I couldn't for a stage there. I couldn't get past running 20 k's a week, and I'd get sore knees. And mm. yeah, if if I'd continued to get sore knees, no way I would have been able to train for a marathon. So. Um, yeah. But yeah, cha- changing the approach that certainly yeah. changed. You need yeah. you needed my e course, mate. The art of natural running. Learn about how, yeah. to, how to run yeah. without putting that pressure on your knees. It would have been great. Yeah, yeah, that, that, <laughs> you're probably correct. You pro- and I think <laughs> I did. Cha- I did change my shoes there 
good, um, good. over the last few years to a wider toe box and a, and a zero drop. And um, I do, you know, I said, I, uh, this is probably something from Cambodia more than anywhere, but yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I love walking around barefoot now. So, and um, <laughs> I get the odd comment every now and again. I'll turn up to pick a <laughs> from school when i've got no shoes on and um, um someone will be oh he's just left them outside i'm like oh, actually i left them at home so <laughs> now uh tell us a bit about your experience following the keto diet as well mate uh, you know being i run on fat i'm guessing that's something that you're a bit of a fan of yeah well the, the the keto yeah we certainly gave that a go i think um oh geez we probably would have been paleo for a good 18 18 months two years before we gave keto a go um yeah, I, I certainly I enjoyed it. Like um, at the start, like I think my my system, my metabolism can can um, process those fats really well. Mm. Um, but then the biggest thing I found after a while was um, found a few issues started to prop up, and probably the biggest one was my libido just slowly disappeared. Mm. So um, yeah, yeah, and like looked into a few more things about it. Um, I probably. I probably could have gone and got my testosterone tested, um, but um, I thought, no, hang on, let's just throw some carbs back in there, and probably within a week, it was yeah, it was coming back. So that's fascinating, um, isn't it? Because people often talk about you know needing those fats in order for all your reproductive hormones and how important they mm-hmm. are. Uh, but it's mm-hmm. interesting that you found going the other way, um, you know, going too much into the fats uh, caused a problem as well, which I think is so often the case with so many things. You know, anything that's bad or good for you, you know, there's often a, a, a sweet spot there somewhere where, you know, you, too much of a good thing can be a bad thing as well. Mm, that's right. That's right. And I think like, um, um, I, like you can eat as much <laughs> pork belly and eggs and all that sort of stuff that you want for yeah. forever, but every now and again, just that big, you know, fresh tray of roast veg straight out of the oven, you can't, you can't say no to that. That's just, <laughs> I think you've uh, got to indulge in that. So, but, well, um, it's interesting because it, it actually uh, it sort of mirrors a similar experience. I was talking recently to um, Melissa Ambrosini's partner. Uh, I'm going to say Nick Broadhurst. I think I've got that right. And um, and he was sharing a similar story of, of going really uh, really high, you know, really low carb and going keto, and just how it didn't work for him uh, in terms of his body and and mentally as well, which is a really interesting. So I might have to get him on the show. Uh, sometime soon to talk about that as well. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting that there's been just a, a couple of stories coming out about that at the moment because keto mm. is kind of the mm. the big thing at the moment. You know, it seems like either yeah. keto or vegan it seems to be the way people are going at the moment. Yeah. And uh, and for some people, it's working very well. And I think for certain conditions and disorders, particularly for people who've got neurodegenerative disorders, you know, particularly mm. for people who've got, uh, you know, some element of metabolic derangement, it seems that that keto diet works really well. Uh, for mm. others like yourself, and I think probably even like myself, I find that you know balancing out those fat, proteins, and carbs a little bit more seems to work better for me as well. So I kind of mirror your experience a little bit, not necessarily the libido, but but just in terms of you know what works best for my body. Um, I think it might be a bit of a similar experience to you as well, Hayden. So mm. Mm. yeah, that's right. Like, um, oh, sorry, you go. Um, I was going to say, I think um, like you say, I think the keto fits in some positions really well and um like i probably um from going from where i was before and going into paleo i leaned out quite a bit at that stage so i know i didn't have much more leaning out to do so probably going onto the keto it um probably uh 
took other things away from me that I didn't expect. So yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So the other thing I want to talk to you about before you go is uh, is your experience with the cold shower challenge. So I kind of put it out there in March that I was going to do a cold shower challenge, three minutes a day for thirty days, and and I've done that, and I've done the blog on my website, which. By the time this interview goes live, I'll have done my 30-day update. I'll probably actually write that out tonight and uh, yeah. put up some before and after pictures as well. Uh, but you joined in and did it. So, tell us a bit about your experience with the cold shower challenge, mate. Yeah, I, uh, I was sort of a bit skeptical of it at the start. And um, I guess the first few days, you, you're jumping in, or, in and out of the shower and you're dodging the cold water and you're, uh, <laughs> you, you're, sort, of, you're sort of questioning, is this working? working? And um just sort of come away from it. Where's the evidence? Oh, it's all anecdotal. Oh, hang on, um, hang on. But um, yeah, after oh, I guess it was probably three or four days, and I'm hang on, I'm starting to enjoy this, and um, and it probably um, yeah, after a few weeks, it it actually got quite. I started to enjoy it, and um, the interesting thing was like on um, on the weekend we went um, uh, we're down the beach for a while, and you know, going out and standing in the uh, ocean. Not that it's that cold at the moment, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, geez, you can that initial shock from just walking in up to your waist—it's—it's it's not there anymore. It's—it's it's gone. So it's fascinating, um, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then like um, on Sunday, so it was the the first of April, and um, got up, went to have a shower, and just without even thinking, you just turn the cold tap on and step straight in. And um, yeah, I only said uh, to my wife the other night, I said, oh, I didn't even think twice. I just turned the cold on and hopped in. So, <laughs> so, so you're gonna keep going, Hayden? Yeah, yeah, I have. I did have a hot shower. When was that? Um, uh, yeah, last night. But that was because um, we've been painting around at the house, so I was covered yeah. in uh, dust and bits of paint. But that, yeah, that was the first hot shower I'd had for over a month. So um, that was pretty good. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I've done the same. A couple of times in the evening when I've had a big day, I've, I've had a cold shower in the morning, and then a couple of times in the yep. evening, I've gone, "No, nah, I'm filthy. I'm in the, <laughs> yeah, digging those holes for the chooks." And um, yep. Had a bit of a warm share in the evening, which was quite nice, I must admit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's right. That's so, right. So, what benefits have you noticed? What changes have you noticed? Um, oh, like I remember um, you did a podcast a couple of weeks ago and you said how you got some headaches there at one stage. Um, yeah. I got a, oh, I had a few headaches there probably in the third week, but then I wasn't too sure whether that was just a bit bit of dehydration or not. But, um, but benefits, um, I think it's just the – um, just it just wakes you up, it gets you going. I don't, yeah. I don't need that much coffee in the morning, and um, puts a bit of a sting in your step, I guess. Um, yeah, haven't seen too much change. Oh, I haven't stepped on the scales or anything. I didn't, didn't. I'm not much of a person for standing on weight scales, so I didn't check that before or after. So um, yeah, but I certainly, um, yeah, certainly feel a lot better. Yeah, um, it's interesting, yeah. isn't it? I, I think that I'm probably the same as you. Like, I kind of I went through the list of all the sort of purported benefits, and I was like, Meh, I'm not sure, really sure about any of those. But the one thing I do feel <laughs> is that I do. I just, I'm just alert in the morning. Like, it takes me so much less time to kind of get going in the morning. Like, I don't feel yeah. like I'm having to w- take my time to sort of wind up in the morning. It's like yeah. I have my quick three minute shower, so I probably you already saved myself five or ten minutes in the morning, and. Yeah. Uh, but then I'm alert. I'm like ready to go. You know, get into the day. It's not like you're sort of slow, gradually waking up into the day. And that, that's probably the thing I like most about it. And I think that's probably the reason I think I will actually keep doing it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And um, it, it 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 is interesting. I think it'll be more of a 
you know, I'll have the situation where I'll need to have a hot shower, and I think it will, but there'll be plenty of mornings where it'll be, yeah, like I said, I'll just turn up and turn the cold on and step straight in. So, Have you been like uh, me where you've gone back to a hot shower and put the shower on the setting you used to previously use and gone, oh, that's really weird. Like, why is it so hot? Like, it feels kind of almost uncomfortably hot. Did you have that experience? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. And now, where we live at the moment, there's not much water pressure. And, um, yeah, so... When the hot's on, it gets quite hot, and um, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I d- didn't really like it too much. It's um, <laughs> it's yeah, funny, isn't it? It, it, it's, it was almost an extremely lukewarm shower, and that was pretty, yeah, yeah. Felt, it was pretty hot. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I was the same. Fascinating. All right, well, mate, thanks for coming on board. Is it half hours up already? We've had a great chat today. Right. There's been so many interesting things to talk about. So thank you so much. No, thank you. And uh, I, I encourage everyone to go check him out. I run on fat on Instagram. That's a pretty easy yep. one to remember. And uh, join the conversation on Facebook. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com. And let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.